Um, hello and welcome to Europe in My Backyard. I'm Paula Wiseman and over the course of the following weekly programmes, we're going to be hearing about the many ways in which European cohesion policy impacts us all on our daily lives. So today I'm lucky enough to be joined on Zoom by four people from the Farm Pete project in Westmeath. We've got Caroline Lawler, Bernie Duffy, Paddy Malone and Emma Byrne. Welcome everybody. Thanks Paula. So let's start off with you, Thanks. Caroline and Bernie. So, Caroline, do you want to maybe start off? You're the project manager. So can you tell us a little bit about the Farm Pete project and how it all began? Yes, of course. Um, so, uh, as you said, I'm the project manager and the Farm Pete project is a two year project. It started off in April uh, 2021 and it was basically in response to a call from the Department of Agriculture. So the Department of Agriculture were looking for projects, innovative projects to look into different ways that we can come up with managing our peat soils that are managed for agriculture at the moment. So working with farmers essentially who have agricultural land on peat soils. So it's a European Innovation Partnership project that's an EIP and there's lots of VIPs in Ireland at the moment, all kind of looking at different specific, um, I suppose, problems or issues that we're facing and quite trying to come up with solutions. So our issue is um, agricultural land, especially intensively managed agricultural uh, land on peat soils. And the main issue there is the greenhouse gas emissions that are associated with it. And I suppose we have two main aims. So our first aim, or one of our aims, is um, the kind of awareness. So we're increasing awareness about this issue. Um, and that's, I suppose, where the Love Your Wellies initiative comes in. And uh, Paddy and Emma will talk to you about that. But um, the, the other aim is working with the farmers themselves and actually trying to come up with these solutions. Um, and the way we're doing it is we're, we're designing a results-based agricultural environmental scheme and it's it's very different to your ordinary or to the traditional approach i suppose in terms of agricultural environmental schemes in that it is it's not action based first of all and it's quite farmer led like the farmers are really involved in this project very much so we talk with them regularly they are very uh, they have a lot of input into the design of their action plan on their farm you know and they're in total control of how they manage their land but basically the big issue is that um and and there's research to support this that the greenhouse gas emissions from deep peats that are intensively managed in agricultural settings they're actually emitting somewhere in the region of 20 tonnes of greenhouse gas um, or carbon dioxide wow. equivalents or greenhouse gases we'll say per hectare per year and for the layperson that is like running four family cars for a year oh, so for every hectare it's like running four family cars so it's quite a lot uh, and that's that's our I suppose issue that we're trying to come up with solutions for yeah um, so how big is the is the team working on this project is it quite a large team or or quite a, a small specific team um i suppose it's relatively small um but there's so there's myself and emma is the project officer so she kind of does it, most of the work with the farmers um face to face as does bernie so bernie is part-time emma's full-time and um, Bernie is, is located in at one of our project areas. We've eight project areas across the Midlands. And then Paddy is um, our public liaison officer. And um, he's, he's involved mainly with the community awareness side of things and the educational side of, of things. And then we also have two other um, 
um, part-time staff members who are kind of they kind of work in the background, but without them we wouldn't we wouldn't be where we are. So that's uh, Paddy Crushell and Mary Catherine. They um, work with Wetland Surveys Ireland, and they give us a huge amount of support and direction as well. So I mean, so how is the project funded? I mean, what what was it like? Were you offered funding, or did you have to apply for funding? How did it work initially? So, yeah, so we applied for funding. So Wetland Surveys Ireland basically answered, uh, there was a call for um, proposals from the Department of Agriculture for projects to deal with this specific issue. And I don't know how many proposals went in, but um, Wetland Surveys Ireland would have, they won uh, one of the, they won ten, uh, the tender, you know, for this. And another project as well also won money for the same call, uh, Green Restoration Ireland. So they're also doing some work in this area as well and the funding then it's a uh, it's european um it's fr- uh, funded under the european structural fund and the rural development program and we have 1.2 million to run for two years wow so i mean you know it, it's it must be great to have had that funding you know out of however many hundreds of groups that applied for applied for funding and to get the money for the two years must have been incredible yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's very exciting to get the the funding and then to be able to set up the project and work with the farmers. I suppose the only the only setback we see is the two years. It's quite a short time frame to try and actually do all this work. Um, but we've made a lot of progress in our first year. So we've just more or less finished our first year and we're into our second year now. And in our first year, we had thirty six farmers signed up and we worked with them um, to develop this results-based scheme and I suppose the beauty of the results-based scheme our approach is that um, when we look at a farmer's land you know we basically have to come up with a scoring system so we came up with a scoring system which reflects the quality of the land in terms of uh, storing greenhouse gases or sequestering greenhouse gases or emitting greenhouse Mm. gases whatever the case may be and also biodiversity and water quality as well they're very important in our scoring system so in the results-based approach, when you score the farm in year one, without the farmer really having done anything different, you know, yeah. basically based on his past management, there's a score associated with that, and it might be high or it might be low. But if it's high, there's an there's a payment associated with that as well. So the higher the score, the higher the payment, and um, I think that's really important. That you know, if someone has been managing their land good, well for nature they are due a payment. They deserve that because that Definitely. has been serving us all. You know, it's been serving us all in terms of greenhouse gas sequestration, um, water quality, water filtration and biodiversity. Well, on the other side, I suppose so some of our farms, like we're not working in a high nature value area. So it's some of our farms are quite intensive and would not have a, a lot of, um, we'll say biodiversity rich areas or semi-natural habitats. But if they're scoring low, um, there's no penalty. It's just they don't they don't receive a, as high a payment as the other farmers might. But we have a supporting actions fund for them. So if they do want to improve the habitat or the nature quality on their farm, we have a fund to support them. And we're there with advice to help them to do certain actions that will help them improve their habitats on their farm and hence improve their score which will eventually improve their payments. Yeah, that must be great to have, for the farmers and those guys to have somewhere to come to for advice and all this kind of stuff. It's, you know, it's, you're, you're obviously providing an incredible uh, resource for people. It's it's quite a service. Yeah, actually it is because we're kind of, um, you know, we're designing the scheme and then we're there in terms of advice and um, and funding, obviously, as well, which is very important. So, yeah, it is. It's it's quite a service and we, we enjoy the work very much. Yeah. So, I mean, what's the what's the ultimate goal 
of farm peat. What would you like to see, say, in five years' time? What would you like to to ultimately see happen from the project running? Um, I suppose what we'd like to see is a, a much greater awareness of the <clears throat> of the issues that are associated with farming, especially intensively um, peat soils. So basically, what what we say is, you know, peat must be wet. It has to be wet to be benefiting the environment and benefiting society in general. If it's dry and drained, it's emitting a lot of greenhouse gases. And so we want that greater awareness in the wider community and also in the farming community. And also we do want, uh, ideally, farmers to be keeping their peat soils wet. Yeah, for us people in Dublin here that know, know very little about peat, obviously we all know it's it's there. I mean, sort of what sort of uh, whereabouts in Ireland is is the whole of Ireland <laughs> got peat or is it just specific areas? It's uh, that's a good question. There was there's um, a very well known Dutch scientist called Matthias Schouten, and when he came to Ireland first in the 70s, I think it was the late 70s, as a PhD student, he asked his supervisor before he came. He was like, "How will I find bogs?" And the supervisor said, "Don't worry, just drive your car and stop anywhere, and you'll find a bog. You're never far from a bog in Ireland." But I suppose yeah, if you're in Dublin, it might seem very far away. We've a few different types of um, peatlands in Ireland. We have blanket bogs raised bogs and fens they'd be the three main ones and I suppose in Dublin you're probably closer to blanket bogs um, Mm. in the Dublin mountains and the Wicklow mountains for example the raised bogs are predominantly located in the Midlands which is where Farm Peat is located so Farm Peat is located here in the in the Midlands in Offaly South Roscommon South West Meath and just over the border into Kildare where Bernie is um so uh yeah so and peat soils they're so like I suppose the reason they're so important from a greenhouse gas uh, perspective is because when they're forming they're 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 um the plants that are growing on in these areas they're not decomposing properly right right because they're they're very wet so they're they're very wet so they're very rich in carbon when they're wet but when they're dry that carbon gets released into the atmosphere yeah that's fantastic so bernie you're the local liaison officer do you want to tell us a bit about what you do for the project okay paula well that's a great title um so <laughs> Basically, as Caroline was saying, I'm pretty much uh, located with one of the project sites, which is Umrivers. And uh, we have six project farmers and myself. And really, just as a core group, we, we, we uh, I go around to them. Uh, like I, I've done soil testing. Uh, I've tested, tested the depth of peat that's on, on their uh, farmed peat soils. And, uh, you know, we've, we've gone forward and worked on this. And, and, and then we've some of the part of the project is providing supplementary actions that will help farmers to uh, benefit the biodiversity on their farms. And I go around and I discuss what actions would suit their farms best. Now, not all farms, uh, not all farms are, are on peat soil. So a farmer may only have a couple of acres, or he may have maybe a high percentage of his farm on peat soils. So, uh, you know, uh, I we discuss basically. Uh, you know, the, the possibility maybe of re-wetting the peat soils. And for some farmers, that's not really going to happen because they've spent quite a lot of money on uh, draining their lands. And uh, it's difficult for them to roll back at this stage, especially seeing as how farm produce is at an all-time high in terms of value. And uh, yeah, so it's, it, it's a discussion really you have with our farmers and uh, see how they can engage with the project best. Yeah, and as I was saying to, to Caroline, you're, you're providing such an invaluable source for these farmers that you know having the, them having somewhere to go to for advice must be in- incredibly rewarding for you 
Well, really, I'm, I'm a link between uh, Caroline and, and Emma and Paddy. I'm de I'm defeat on the ground, so you know I can I can be with them uh, pretty quickly if, if they want to have a chat. And uh, just last Monday, I went down to visit one of the farmers, and it's quite interesting because his land actually uh, borders Bordenamona, so uh, he's willing to engage in in rewetting uh, his peatlands. And board, but the, the drain is actually on board the side. So it's going to be a small project between board and the farmer and farm peat to see uh, what we can do and what results can be attained from it. And it's it's going to be a very interesting uh, little project if, it, if, it's, if it's feasible. Like, I mean, surveyor has to go out and actually see, can this be done without impacting the farmers on either side? Because you can't actually go along and re-wet the, the land on, on other people's land if they, if they haven't consented. Yeah, so I mean, is there a lot of travelling around and stuff for you guys? I'm assuming that you're just, you know, most days you're kind of travelling out and about. Well, I'm, I'm I'm local and I'm part time, so you know, there's only like I said, uh, six farmers on the project side, mm. so I don't have to go very far. Um, some of it's done over the phone, uh, you know, and uh, a lot of the time then, maybe uh, I'll engage with uh, Paddy and and uh, Carolyn and Emma over the phone or Zoom meetings. Yeah, that's it. So I suppose that's yeah. great for Bernie. He's he's local, he's on the ground, and it is great for the farmers there that they can either pick up the phone or as you say, you can pop down very quickly and have a chat with them some in the evenings or whatever, whenever suits them. So I suppose for um myself and Emma, we try and be as flexible as we can as well. Mm. well we have an office based in the middle kind of of our project area. So we're not too far really from any of our project sites or any of our farmers. I'd say an hour maximum. For, an hour would be the furthest, actually, um, probably down to Bernie's side, side of things. So let's uh, let's move over now to Patty and Emma. So well, welcome, guys. How are you? How are you getting on? Are you well? Thanks, Paula. Fantastic. So, so let's talk about this Love Your Wellies initiative. So do you want to tell us about how, how did that all come about initially? Um, I suppose... The Love Your Wellies initiative is everything farm peat project that lies beyond the farmer's gate. Um, the initiative encapsulates the community and education aspects of the project. Um, and I suppose that's that's crucial to the project, mainly because every farmer in the project plays a crucial role in their local community. And in return, the farmer needs the support of the local community to make the changes um, I suppose spread the word and embrace a more positive level of engagement with the wider landscape. Um, and it's it's often the case that are unaware of what's around um, the nature of the bog itself is that it would be quite flat and it's often easily hidden by a hedgerow. So people who may pass them daily never know they're there. In, uh, in Dublin, you'd be very unaware about where the bogs would be in Dublin. Uh, there isn't any in Dublin, uh, but pretty much every other part of the country does have them in some form. Uh, so we're very much focused on raising awareness uh, and, and educating the communities within this unique landscape um, and, and highlighting the importance of them. So that's pretty much the premise of it. Yeah. So, I mean, what is it aimed at a particular age group or, or is it literally it can be anybody and everybody? Um, so the initiative itself is everything outside of the farmer's gate. So that would be every age group. And it, it's it's very wide reaching. It's probably too ambitious for the size of the, the team we have. Um, that doesn't stop us. Um, 
I suppose our first couple of stages were the education and very, very heavily focused on working with primary and secondary schools. We, back in November, I suppose we, we trialed an awful lot of our, 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 our theories because they were very much theories. Uh, we didn't really know what we were going to say, what we were going to do or how we'd go about doing any of this. Um, so we went out during Science Week last November and uh, we tried to run a few of our suggestions. But we also used that as an opportunity to engage with teachers and basically create a focus group um, to, to better direct how we were going to progress with the, with the initiative. Mm. Um, and, and, and that feedback from that focus group is where the actual competition came from. Um, that competition it was primarily focused for primary and secondary school students. Um, we would hope that the schools themselves would take it on. Uh, but it was open to all students pretty much under the age of 18 or we even went away from the ages. We actually just kept it to uh, class groups. So there was four categories. Uh, there was two for primary school and there was two for secondary school. So pretty much if you were in first or second level education, you were encouraged to participate in this. But the initiative itself actually goes much further beyond that. It's three now of our engagement program, which is the wider community. Um, now we have several ideas that uh, we, we have working in the background, um, one of which I suppose is we're, in, we're uh, supporting uh, one of our project farmers um, who just happens to have land that's very important to the local community and trying to encourage a, a public pathway to go through his land, so a public right of way. Uh, and so we're facilitating the, the, the mediation phase of that conversation between the semi-state bodies, uh, the local community and the, the landowner who happens to be a project farmer. So, so very intricate and very complex, but also very, very rewarding. And I, I'm personally very positive about the, the outcome of that. Um, we do have several other ideas on the cards, but they might range from simple open days and walking trips, um, just doing education trips for adults and that on the bog. Um, but we also have plans for um, helping communities that, that need help by their definition, not by what we might perceive them yeah. to need. Um, one community has asked us to help them design some uh, QR code uh, signs for around their town wow. to, to highlight history, heritage and, and the uh, nature. Community has asked us to help develop a uh, virtual tour. So their, their town might be kind of out of the way, but that they could be actually toured online that you can you can get into a drone basically and you can you can tour around their town and you can see the pictures and you can get all of the, the little bits of information about the history and heritage of the local area as well. Um, but but honestly, the, the range of ideas, uh, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, we might have probably about 12 or 14 ideas that are advancing at this stage uh, that are all massively different and probably far too complicated and diverse to get into today. But that's just kind of a flavour of of where we're at and, and what we're doing, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose that the kids are the farmers of the future, aren't they? So it's it's good to get them when they're kind of, you know, they're taking in all this information and they've got a lot of opinions as well, obviously, at that age. They know what they want, don't they, at that age? Absolutely. And I suppose they're not even the farmers of the future. They are they are their future, period. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so educating them is key to the success of any of what anything what we're trying to achieve. And uh, I think Emma can tell you probably a bit better. Uh, Emma does an awful lot of the actual workshops and presents to these kids an awful lot. So what you'd notice is as you get as the groups get younger, it seems to be the more they know. So the generation, the younger generations coming up are far more engaged and far more 
challenging for people like Emma when it comes to engaging with them and trying to educate them because they have such a thirst for knowledge and they are so open to that narrative and they want to learn. Yeah. Oh, they're so clued in, aren't they, at that age? Like my nephew is nine and it's just, he, he's, he knows a lot more than I do. And it's, it's great. It's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we're, we're caught out daily. Um, and, and honestly, again, during the coming back, I suppose, to the arts competition, um, the, the concept behind it, without saying as much as this, uh, the idea was we wanted the kids to make something about something, but that's far too general. So we gave them four formats, which was uh, literary, artistic, digital, or model making. So they had to choose one of those. Wow. Uh, and then they had to choose the topics of uh, history, environment, community, and I'm always missing one, farming, of course. Uh, so those were the four themes they had to choose. So they choose a theme, they choose a format, and then they tell us their story through their eyes. That was the essential premise of it. And I tell you, the range of entries we got back by just going to um, even just going to any one of our social media sites at the moment, you can see on Facebook and Twitter, we have a YouTube video up um, of all of the top 10 entries. Now, we received countless entries and we engaged with more schools than than, than I, I can really fathom, to be very honest. Like, as Bernie and Caroline said, we have eight sites across four counties. We yeah. have 50 farmers in year two. We are a small project. And during the just the voting phase of the uh, the Love Your Wellies competition, uh, we engaged with, I think, 150,000 people. And uh, since January, we've had over a half a million reach. So we're, we're a very small project that, that has it's it's reaching all of the country and and the reason it's gotten to every county in ireland is not because we planned that we had very much planned about 50 or 60 schools for a certain you know just just to just to focus around the project sites and after two days it had turned into a national competition because of the demand and we even got um, entries from uh, from countries further afield as well um so that was it, it was an eye-opener and the the range of entries we got was absolutely mind-blowing um we did of course see uh, a lot of the schools come back to us that we had worked with doing workshops and that doing field trips um and and they i suppose had more developed ideas in a lot of cases but that wasn't always true and some of the projects that came in just completely took us from uh, from from left field and really surprised us it was the range was incredible and if you see that even the top 10 entries that made it to the public vote there's an incredible range there um, and the talent that was displayed. It was it was just a, an eye opening experience. And personally, I look forward to next year, although I'm not I'm not I, I'm not looking forward to the workload that will come with it, because I do suspect next year might be a bit bigger. Yeah. No, I don't envy anybody who that's got to judge this, <laughs> to judge the competition. I really don't. Well, know. thankfully, that wasn't us. We, um, well, I say thankfully it wasn't us. Emma was actually one of our judges. But Emma made up a panel, uh, was one of the 12 judges, um, which we had from, which were community champions and uh, leaders of other community projects based around the Midlands. So we had a very diverse range of judges. We even had um, the heritage officer for Offaly County Council as one of the judges. Um, it was a very, very diverse set of judges. And they were all, I, I suppose they were given out that they took too much time judging of enjoying it too much. Uh, so that's generally a good sign of a competition when people are complaining it's too good. Um, yeah. So I, I've definitely taken that as a big win. And I think all of us here at Farm Pete are absolutely blown away by the response and, and everything has been overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, yeah. Let's bring you in now, Emma. 
So, do you want to tell us a little bit about your your end of things? What what do you do uh, for the project? Yeah, so I suppose I'm kind of mixed between Bernie and Paddy, to be honest with you. So I'd be out on the ground working one-on-one with the farmers a lot, like Bernie as well. So Bernie covers the site in Umrith, and then we have seven other sites as well. So they're spread across Roscommon, Westmead, and Offaly would be the other ones. So I'd go out and I do a lot of the farm assessments there and then like Bernie then as well, once the farm has been assessed, I'll meet with the farmers as well and discuss some action plans. So suggest different actions that they can take on on their farm to improve their score. And then I suppose regarding the Love Your Wellies, then I would have worked a lot with Paddy. So we did, we visited a lot of schools together and we held um, educational workshops and where it was possible then as well, we brought a lot of schools out onto bogs for actual field trips as well. So that was brilliant. And like Paddy said as well, I was a judge for the Love Your Wellies competition, which is actually probably one of the most challenging things I have done <laughs> because it's very hard not to give them all top marks, but they were all really, really impressive. They were brilliant. But um, I think working with the kids is a real, it's a real eye opener, especially in a project like this. Like, you know, I think everyone knows that a change needs to happen for the environment to I suppose stay in some way good condition and the best way to get that change is through education and I think Paddy just put a real unique twist on the education there the way that we deliver it like it's very easy to walk into a school and get them to all kind of look at a powerpoint and say this is why we need to preserve our bogs and our peatlands but Paddy was designed it in such a way that they're all able to bring their own unique taste into it their own unique talent whether it was through poetry or a drawing or making a 3D model, they were all able to interact in a way that they felt comfortable and that they were able to best express themselves, I suppose, while also learning about it. Yeah, I mean, we were saying earlier, you you do a lot of presentations in schools and stuff. I mean, it must be like, you know, like kind of shooting fish in a barrel. You don't know what sort of questions and things you're going to be asked. So, I mean, I mean it must be a, a bit of a challenge going into schools and, and talking to these kids. Oh, definitely. Like, I mean, we put a lot of preparation into our workshops, but it it doesn't matter how much prep you do. Once you walk into that classroom, the kids have you sussed and they just have questions that you'd never you'd never think of 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 having prepared yourself like and every time we walked into a different classroom, it was a different set of challenging questions. But it was great because, I mean, that just means that the kids are actually interested themselves and they're obviously doing their own bit of research or have their own interest in it outside of the classroom Mm. as well, that they actually have these questions. And I suppose that's the best way for people to learn is to ask questions about it as well. So I suppose the only problem is I hope I have the answer for them all the time. (laughs) But but, um, no, they're really, really impressive. They're so clued in, like they really, really are. Yeah, no, it's great though, isn't it? That they're all, they're showing an interest, and as as we've said earlier, these these are the you know the humans of the future that are going to be running the country, working in the country and stuff. And it's just great that they're all so uh, invested in the future of the country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's it's at that age that it's really important to get them out as well, because I suppose you know, obviously every generation has to be educated I suppose and keep up to date with their issues that we have at the moment but I suppose we're all the same once we get to a certain age it's very hard to change our outlook and our perspective on things but so that's where it's good to get the kids I suppose when they're in that primary secondary stage where they're a bit more open I suppose and they're kind of looking at the world through different eyes maybe yeah I don't know I think kids are a lot more clued in now aren't they you know I remember when I when I was that kind of age I, I wouldn't have known half the things that the kids know yeah absolutely yeah and even Paddy said there I mean we drive past bogs all the time we don't even realize it's a bog and I mean I'm, I would have been the same when I was younger as well but now we go into a school and we're showing kids 
pictures of plants and animals and they already know what they are, you know, and they know where to find them and everything. So they are, they're really clued in. And even I think it was when in February, when we were visiting the schools, the Climathon had been on and the kids had, they were just throwing out so many facts that they learned by listening to the Climathon as well. Like, you know, it was great to see that at such a, I mean, these were probably six or seven year olds and to think that they're going home after school and, and that's the content that they're, they're, they're watching on television is great. Like, you know, that's the thing. They're probably going home from school and saying, oh, did, mum and dad, did you know this? Did you know this? And sharing the information that they've learned and educating their parents at the same time. Yeah, exactly. They're definitely bringing a bit home to their parents as well. And it's nice then as well that their parents are probably able to give them stories back as well from when they were kids and time that they spent out in the bog as well. Whether it was cutting turf or going collecting frog spawns, whatever it is. It's nice that there's that exchange, you know, and it's kind of two different stories that they're able to share with each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so, so much for all four of you chatting with me today. Paddy, Bernie, Caroline and Emma. Yeah, it's just been so fascinating hearing all this stuff that's going on. You know, we don't hear about half this stuff in Dublin and it's it's nice to uh, have a bit of education as to what's going on down it's, the country. Uh, it's nice to know a world exists outside the pales. <laughs> Thanks so much, Paula, for having us on. And actually, for, for anyone listening who does live in Dublin and mightn't, mightn't uh, be able to get down to the Midlands in the immediate future, you can always follow us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube as well. So if you just Google Farm Pete, you'll find us on those three um, three channels. So that's all from us this week. Thank you so, so much to my guests, Paddy, Bernie, Caroline and Emma. You can listen again to our interviews for this series at nearfm.ie forward slash podcast. You can email us at europe at near.ie. Join us again same time next week, 4.30 to 5pm here on Near FM.